Well, I just did a wonderful podcast with uh, Natasha Campbell McBride. It's been um, many years now that uh, she's been one of my heroes. And so it was great to meet her and she didn't disappoint. We, um, we got into a lot about autoimmunity and I believe that the, in, the first question I asked her, her response to it is probably the most comprehensive and best and most eloquent explanation of autoimmunity I've ever heard. So please check it out. Um, I, I won't do too much gushing on here on the intro because I, I did a bit, you know, when, when we started talking uh, of how great it was to meet her finally. But uh, yeah, you know, check it out and check out lots of other great episodes I've got on Red Pill Buddhas. I hope you enjoy them. Please like, subscribe, all, all the usual things. Have a look below to links to our Big Fat Challenge and Big Fat Tribe if you want sort of ongoing help with with these kind of ancestral uh, aspects of uh, of health and um yeah but uh, you know i'm just sitting here a bit dazed at the moment because it was such a wonderful chat enjoy this great eloquence of dr natasha campbell mcbride Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Red Pill Buddhas podcast. And I've got to say, I'm very excited today because there's one of my absolute heroes, Natasha Campbell McBride. And I'm not going to do a massive intro uh, about what Natasha's done, because I think probably all of you know, particularly the people who will be watching this podcast. But um, it, it's funny, I've I've uh, I, I've managed to meet all my heroes, I think, in the diet world, you know, and Sophia Clements and uh, Sean Baker and Anthony Chafee, Jack Cruz. And I've never quite managed to meet Natasha. And uh, thanks to our uh, mutual friend, Ahmad Malik, uh, who introduced us, uh, Natasha's agreed to come on. It's probably just as well, because I've always said to people, if I ever run into Natasha at any event, I'm just going to run up and give her such a massive hug. And so it's probably best we meet like this so that she doesn't have to call the police. (laughs) This is a fill you in quickly on, on, on why I'd love to do this, Natasha. It's really, I'd love to pick your brains about autoimmunity. I, my story is, is, is that, you know, I wrote books on plant-based eating and Ayurveda and studied it for about 30 years. And then at age 48 in 2010, I ended up totally crippled with psoriatic arthritis. And I had to throw out everything I thought I knew. But first of all, I had a vegan experiment and ended up losing about 90 pounds, including all my hard-earned muscle. And all I ended up with was kidney stones. And eventually I found Natasha's book, the original GAPS book. And it really saved my life. It made so much sense. It was it was beautiful. And that and Jack Cruz's website on all the sort of light and circadian rhythm and stuff like that, um absolutely saved me and I went on from there I remember early on in 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 that time I remember hearing an interview with you Natasha and you said or maybe it was in the book I can't remember but you said there are some people who have eaten nothing but meat and they're still absolutely fine and I was like whoa that's a bit mad it took me about another five years but it's been eight years since my last vegetable now and I'm doing very nicely um 
so I, I just wanted to pick your brains first of all, apart from saying thank you so much and welcome. My my first thing to ask you would be on the actual cause of autoimmunity. Now, do you think it's um, it's molecular mimicry or toxins lodged in the body? Or do you think it's a combination of both? Or is it more complex than that? People always say to me on consoles and stuff, what actually causes it? And I say, well, it's a lot of theories, but the cure is pretty much the same. What do you think about that, Natasha? Well, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I'm delighted to be here. And I'm very happy that you've recovered. Thank you. From your health problems. And a, lot so of, a, lot of it, a lot of it with your help. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm delighted. Um, and uh, uh, psoriasis is an autoimmune disease. It is. And the uh, fully blown one usually involves the joints as well, not only the skin. Because majority of people are familiar with the patches on the skin in psoriasis, but not many people know that the joints get involved as well and the whole body gets involved. So coming to autoimmunity, I've described it in detail in this book. That's my latest book, Gut and Physiology Syndrome. And Gut and Psychology Syndrome I've written in 2004. That's a yellow book and it focuses on the brain. This one focuses on the rest of the body. It's quite a bit thicker and it's the latest one. So that's what I've described what autoimmunity is. Because I completely disagree with the mainstream idea um, that um, theory of autoimmunity was created by, likely to have been created by the big pharma in order to sell their drugs. Because that theory serves their sales very well and brings them a lot of profit. And that theory says that your immune system is silly. It doesn't understand what it's doing. And for no good reason at all, it suddenly starts attacking your own body attacking your own tissues. So since the immune system is so silly and such a rogue, we take a great big stick in the form of steroids or other um, pharma drugs, pharmacological agents, and we just beat the immune system down to the floor. So it's disabled and it cannot work and it stops causing attacking your body for no good reason and stops causing symptoms. Because all the symptoms in, in, in any autoimmune disease are caused by the immune system. The inflammation, the swelling, and the limitation of function and whatever else, the pain um, that people get is caused by the immune system. So the question is, is our immune system really that foolish? Have we been so badly designed that we have an immune system that suddenly for no good reason will start attacking your own body? So any person who has some logic would logically think and think that doesn't seem right. This theory, it, 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 it's not likely that the creator, mother nature or the creator, the prime creator would create our bodies so imperfect and in such a, a, a broken way. So from my clinical perspective and from the clinical perspective of many, many other people, our immune system is never misguided. It always knows what it's doing. And it always does its best for you under the circumstances. And human body has been created perfect. Your body is a perfection. It's the pinnacle of, of evolution. It's, a, it's an absolute perfection. And it was made perfect right from the beginning. So what happens in autoimmunity? The body gets polluted. 
substances which have no place in your body, poisonous things, get into your body and they always look for a docking place. Like a little boat in the sea is looking where to park itself in a harbor, looking for a little harbor. And the harbor needs to be compatible with that particular toxin, that particular molecule. So they have to fit in like a hand in a glove quite often, you know, somewhere. So they find they're looking for a dock for themselves. They're looking for a docking place and they sort of find it, which sort of fits in. Once they've lodged themselves in those docking places, these toxins, <clears throat> then molecules which were supposed to dock in there in your body, hormones, neurotransmitters, enzymes, and many other very important molecules, which your body produces all the time, your glands produce them, your thyroid gland, your pancreas, your adrenal glands, your sex glands, other, um, other uh, endocrine glands are producing, your brain, your digestive system produces, practically every cell produces some of these very important molecules in the body. And it's thanks to these molecules, to their functions, that your body works. Everything's ticking on nicely. You're alive, you've got energy, you can enjoy your life. You can get on with your life. And in order for every one of those molecules to do its job, it needs to connect to its docking position on your muscles, on your bones, on your organs, on your brain, in various places around the body. And it's a very specific docking position for every molecule. And three-dimensional structure of this molecule is such that they fit in very nicely into their docking places like a hand and glove, a glove of your size, the way that's been, it's been made specifically for your hand. Trouble is, when all of these toxic things occupied all of these docking places, hormones, neurotransmitters, enzymes, and other very important molecules in the body can't dock. Their docking spaces are full. They're just floating around in the sea, in your body, in the blood, in the limbs, somewhere else, and they just can't attach. And as a result, because they can't attach, they can't work. They don't do their job properly. Hormones, neurotransmitters, enzymes, they affect every function in your body, on every cell, every organ. So when they can't dock, they can't do their jobs. So all sorts of things go wrong in the body as a result. One hormone can just cause havoc in every organ in your body. You come to a doctor and you have everything wrong everywhere in your body. And the doctor thinks, well, who, what do I do with this person? You know, I can't even give a diagnosis to this person because I can't localize the symptoms. They're, they're all over. The, the, the person is sick all over because these things cannot dock. And you develop a deficiency in hormones, enzymes, neurotransmitters, and other vital molecules because of this pollution. So the immune system's job is to keep your body clean. It goes around your body surveying everything all the time. And when it finds this pollution for the first time in a particular place in your body, it will use a tool that it has ready to go. That tool is called inflammation. The immune system just grabs it off the shelf and uses it to clean that dirty place in your body. What is inflammation? The place is red, hot, swollen, hurts, and doesn't work. That's what inflammation is. So you wake up in the morning and whatever, you know, if it was, let's say, your knee, your right knee, where this toxicity has lodged itself, your right knee is swollen, it's hurting, it's red, it's hot, and it doesn't work. You can't bend it properly. You can't step on that leg. 
So you run to the doctor, and the doctor says, oh, you got arthritis, and gives you anti-inflammatory drugs. Drugs which would do not allow your immune system to use inflammation. Inflammation is a wonderful tool that the immune system uses. It should never be suppressed. It should never be reduced because it's so effective at cleaning dirty places in our bodies. And it cleans the dirty places in our bodies without damaging your tissues. It just removes the toxin and throws it out of the body some way, either through sweat, through urine, through stool, through some saliva, through something else in your body. Inflammation is very, very good at that. People usually suppress inflammation with anti-inflammatory painkillers, over-the-counter over painkillers or something stronger that the doctor can give you. So if inflammation is suppressed, the immune system has no choice than to move to some other tool that it has to clean that dirty place because the place is still dirty and more dirt is coming in. More pollution is coming in, polluting more places in the body. And every one of these uh, particular molecules of pollution, they attach themselves to a particular protein. The usual protein, the typical protein that's attacked in the body by pollution and like a magnet for pollution is collagen. Vast majority of protein in the human body is collagen. It's an elastic protein that holds our bodies together. From collagen, the structure of your bones is made. The lattice structure of your bone is made of collagen. It's like bookshelves in your bones, collagen. And then the, the calcium settles on those shelves forming your bones. So osteoporosis, softening of the bones, is not lack of calcium. It's not lack of the books. It's lack of shelving. The shelving is all broken because there's no collagen. So the books have no way to stand. They just get washed away and you get osteoporosis. So pumping yourself full of calcium is not going to help. You need to rebuild the shelving first yeah. with collagen. The structure of your muscles is made out of collagen. The structure of your ligaments, your joint capsule, the surfaces of the bones which rub against each other, the liquid inside the joint is all collagen. The sheath where your nerves travel is collagen. The structure of the nerve itself, all the sort of supportive structures in the nerve are collagen. The structure of all your, all your blood vessels, all of them, including your heart, is made out of collagen. Large percent of your heart, arteries, veins, capillaries is collagen. The structure of every mucous membrane in the body is collagen. The structure of every capsule of every organ, because every organ has a capsule and it has ligaments that hang that organ inside your body in a certain place. So it's nice, nicely hanging. All of those structures are collagen. And collagen is like a magnet for toxicity. A lot of toxins attach themselves to collagen. And as a result, they change the three-dimensional structure of those collagen molecules. The immune system finds them, looks at them and says, gosh, you're not mine. I don't recognize you. You must be my collagen, but you, you look very different. So the immune system first will try to use inflammation to clean that collagen up. But people suppress inflammation routinely. They start taking painkillers in this country, in any country in the Western world. So inflammation is suppressed. It's not working. The immune system then, what does it do? It studies the three-dimensional structure of this changed, polluted, contaminated collagen, and starts manufacturing cells which can gobble up the whole thing, digest it, and remove it. 
And these are antibodies, and that's what it's called. That's what's called autoimmunity. So the doctor does uh, takes a blood test from you, finds these special cells for gobbling up that contaminated collagen, and says, "Oh, you've got an autoimmune disease." And they jump to the mimicry phenomenon fairy tale given to them by Big Pharma, you know, which says that your immune system has gone rogue. It's doesn't know what it's doing. We need to beat it up and destroy it. So here's a drug for you to destroy your immune system. We cannot live without immune system. Lots of things will go wrong in the body if you are killing your immune system. If you're taking steroids, prednisone, or some other drugs which are similar, or something even stronger, like cytotoxic drugs that very often they use for autoimmune disease. So in reality, what we need to do, we need to support our immune system. And any person with a, a logical mind will say, well, we need to stop that pollution coming into the body, right? We need to stop polluting the body. So that because your body has a powerful cleaner inside it called detoxification system. That cleaner is walking around 24 hours a day with a mop and a bucket all over your body, cleaning you up all the time. But if the system is, it's got a headquarters in the liver and departments in every cell of your body, this detoxification system. But in a person who is too polluted, the detox system is so overburdened with work, it's overwhelmed. It breaks down. It cannot clean you up anymore. So that's another problem we need to deal with. Your immune system is fighting and does the best it can do from the end end, from the end side of the problem. But when the toxins come in, the detox system is not working very well. So where are these toxins coming from? What are these toxins? Why is the body getting polluted in a person? More than 90% of them come from the digestive system. Without fail, it is your gut. That's where the majority of toxicity comes from. Here we come to gaps. Human body is a microbial community. That's what many people don't realize. There are far more microbes in your body than there are human cells. You are a microbial community, a very complex one, a very balanced one, a beautiful, amazing microbial community. And a healthy person, every microbe is present. The fungi are there, the viruses, bacteria, protozoa, archaea, two-meter-long things too, you know, worms and parasites and, and, and all sorts of other things. They're all present. And they all control each other. They don't allow each other to get out of control. So as a result, you have a balanced, harmonious community. There is harmony between them all and between your body as a result. And these microbes, they make sure that they feed you, they protect you, they, they just do a myriad of things for us. We cannot live without them. So if you are afraid of microbes, you're afraid of yourself because you are made of microbes. And the headquarters of this microbial community, the big ministry, the big government of it, is sitting in your digestive system. There are microbes everywhere in your body, in your blood, in your heart, in your lungs, in your veins, in your spinal liquid, in your brain, everywhere. Everywhere there are microbes. But the big ministry is in the digestive system. The reason for it is that that's where we put food. And the most powerful influence in any microbial community in nature is food. 
And that's where we place our food, don't we? Into the digestive system. So here we come to what cues this whole situation, what actually has the big effect on it and what actually causes the, every disease in the world. Food. You are eating wrong food. When you eat wrong food, your microbial community changes and microbial community responds, responds to food, to changes in food very quickly, literally within hours. Certain species of microbes start disappearing, other species appearing, and the whole microbial community changes. And what's happening in the gut, in the microbial community, will then pull the rest of the microbial communities everywhere else in your body, no matter how far away that place might be from the digestive system. They communicate with each other instantly instantly on a biophysical level. So if you are buying your food in a supermarket, the usual typical supermarket where it's so comfortable to push that trolley and throw those packets in, you know, all nicely packaged, clean, looking all cleaned for you, washed for you, pre-prepared -pre for you, then you are eating antibiotics for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and in between. Because who stocks the shelves of supermarkets? Industrial agriculture. Industrial agriculture uses a myriad of chemicals for growing food, most of which are antibiotics in their nature, broad spectrum antibiotics. The most powerful one and the most ubiquitous one nowadays is glyphosate. It's the active ingredient in the Roundup herbicide. And so many people in the Western world spray their driveway with glyphosate because the manufacturer says that it's completely harmless. <laughs> the manufacturer is Monsanto and, and Bayer. And people trust these corporations for some reason. So glyphosate is now used in enormous, monstrous amounts on every crop that they grow, every commodity crop. And they spray it throughout the growing season several times and they spray it right before harvesting. They literally douse the produce when it's fully grown because it desiccates the plant. It dries it up and it's easier to harvest. So they spray wheat and barley and rice and sugar beet and rapeseed and soya and everything. Everything that they grow, they spray with glyphosate just before harvesting. So your bread, pasta, baguettes, biscuits, cakes, anything made out of flour, your sugar contain monstrous amounts of glyphosate. And there are no industry standards to test for it. Everything practically you're buying in the supermarket, you are eating glyphosate. And that's only one chemical. There's lots of others. Natasha, so when, you eat, when you eat them, you're damaging that microbial community in your gut. You're killing off a large proportion of the microbes. So what's left in there gets out of balance and becomes pathogenic, becomes monstrous, becomes rogues. They digest food in their own way, converting it into millions of poisons, poisonous chemicals. At the same time, they damage the integrity of your gut wall, making it porous and leaky, literally holes developing your gut wall. So all of these poisons absorb, they get into your body, they attach themselves to collagen, and not only collagen, many, many other proteins get contaminated in the body. We just talked about collagen. They pollute them, they contaminate them, and you get autoimmune disease. So that's how autoimmunity develops in the human body. 
That's a long answer to your question. Oh, I, I, I was I was transfixed. I've never heard such a good uh, explanation. That was that was brilliant. And I've got to say that, you know, to anybody listening to this who thinks that, you know, maybe they can take the odd painkiller or whatever or the odd non-steroidal anti-inflammatory from somebody who's tried that during flares it might give you a day off or not even that it usually gives you like a day half off and then you pay for it the next day you can feel that the body needed to do that inflammation and that you've really just got to sit it out and do the right thing to keep you strict you know um the, the, it, it is such a tragedy. I mean, the fights that I had with rheumatologists, I knew I'd find a way out in the end. And I didn't see them for long, sort of about six months or something, you know, and only took their poisons for about two weeks. But they get so tremendously angry if 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 you tell them that you're going to find a way out. You found this, you found that. I went back, I've told this story a lot of times, but I went back one time when an appointment came up to show them that I'd fixed myself, show this guy. And I was jumping up and down and I was the only one in the waiting room who wasn't limping, you know. And and meanwhile, they're sitting in the waiting room eating chocolate and whatever out of their handbags and all the joints bandaged up and really heavy they were and all these chocolate and crisp machines all over the place and cooking. You can smell the toasted um, the toasted sandwiches as soon as you go in and you're like, oh, my God. And I went in. He got so angry with me. I thought he'd say, oh, well done. He got so angry. He went, now it's going to go into your heart and your lungs. And then it's going to be, you've got to take the methotrexate, you know, I'm saying, no, but look what I've done. I'm, I'm the healthiest one in your waiting room. He got so angry. He started shouting and frothing at the corner of the mouth. And eventually I had to just leave and I never went back. But, you know, thanks to thanks to people like you and, and, and looking into sort of ancestral health, I pretty much figured it out. One thing, though, what I find with people um, you know, even if they're getting organic veg now, I mean, most of the veg now and, and things in our shops uh, didn't even exist, you know, a couple of hundred years ago or whatever. So we probably don't need them. Uh, but, you know, the amount of natural toxins in plants, I've always been kind of aware of them. But, you know, Anthony Chafee sort of made this kind of popular and talked about it a lot. And, and he reckons, you know, there's 136 known carcinogens in, in an organic Brussels sprout and 60 in the least toxic veg. And... He says, yeah, you might as well stay home and just spray glyphosate in your mouth. I mean, obviously he's joking, but how how do you see these plant toxins? Is there ever a use these days for any sort of plant matter for people? Because I find I have no use for it whatsoever. Well, I'll give you another long answer. <laughs> <laughs> Go first for it. Of all, first of all, organic standards have been corrupted because some 15 years ago, the big, big ag, big agriculture, saw how popular organics are becoming and they wanted a piece of that pie. And because they appoint our governments and they control our government policies on everything practically, uh, they dictated to the government um, to change organic standards. So now we have organic pesticides and lots of practices which have no place in organics. Uh, so organic label in the supermarket is a lie. You cannot trust it anymore. You're just spending more money on the same produce that sold next uh, next to it without an organic label. I'm sure some real organics do manage to make their way into those places, but how do we know which one's which? So you cannot trust organic label anymore. In fact, talking about supermarkets, what I recommend to my patients now and to everybody practically, we have to abandon supermarkets. If it is health we want, 
We cannot buy our food in supermarkets. We have to find local organic farmers because governments in the Western world subsidize industrial agriculture, chemical destructive agriculture. While they make life very difficult for true organic farmers, for really organic people, with their meddling, with their regulations, with their inspections and everything else. So the agenda is, the true agenda of the government is to destroy organics and to support the big corporations. They serve the big corporations, the governments. So what you want to do, you want to find real organic farmers. The first thing to look is online. Uh, the next thing to do is to go into your local uh, farmers markets and see where you can talk to people, talk to them, get their contact details, and then visit the farms around your city. Just uh, you have a weekend, throw your kids in the car, have a lovely day visiting an organic farm. And have a look. Is he happy? A true organic farmer has nothing to hide. He'll be happy to welcome you to his farm. He has no bags of chemicals lying about. He has no refrigerators full of steroids and antibiotics for his animals to hide. So he'll be happy to see you. So if a farmer says, no, you can't visit my farm, that is an industrial farmer. You don't want to have anything to do with that farmer. Visit the farm. Look how the animals are kept. Look what's happening on that farm. Look what the kind of soil is. And look, are the animals and birds treated with love? Because only energy of love heals. Everything in this world is energy. Everything and energy vibrates. Everything's jittering, vibrating, including our bodies. And the frequency of vibration is very important. Love has the highest frequency of vibration, and it is the healing frequency. That's the only frequency that gives us good health, vitality, happiness, and uh, um, good, good well-being, good life. What kind of frequency do you think you are buying in a supermarket? All the food in the supermarket has its own energy and its own frequency. You're buying energy of abuse, grief, disease, greed, suffering. How can that frequency give you good health? Convenience, yes, but not good health. You are buying disease if you are buying food in supermarkets. So if it is good health you want, you have to abandon supermarkets. That's the first thing. Coming to vegetables, coming to plant matter, yes, um, all plants contain substances which are called anti-nutrients, phytates, salicylates, phenols, antioxidants, and uh, you know many, many substances, lectins have been researched quite well. Because plants can't run away, you see, they're rooted in one place. So when a predator comes, an animal comes and bites that plant, the plant can't run away from a predator. So the plants, it's their seed that they equip in particular with uh, these anti-nutrients. Because seeds are plants' babies. They don't want them to be eaten. They want them to be to grow. They want to propagate themselves. So the plants equip their seed with high levels of anti-nutrients, which make the animal sick. I'm an organic farmer. And when my grass goes to seed, my cows stop eating it. They refuse to eat it. They just give me this dirty look saying, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you giving us? <laughs> and they refuse to eat it because they know that if they eat the seed, it'll make them sick. It'll give them a tummy ache. It'll make them unhealthy and well. Only a very healthy digestive system of a human being, cast iron digestive system, can digest these anti-nutrients, break them apart, 
so they don't damage you. Problem is, practically 100% of the Western population of the world have damaged digestive systems now. Because everybody's buying food in supermarkets, everybody's eating glyphosate, and, and it's, it's a broad-spectrum antibiotic. That's what glyphosate was patented as when it was first discovered as a broad-spectrum antibiotic. You are eating a powerful antibiotic every time you open your mouth and you put something in there. So, and all plants that are, that are in supermarkets contain, uh, contain these substances. So, if your digestive system is damaged, then you can't break down these anti-nutrients. They start damaging you. They start absorbing undigested, not properly broken down, because these pathogenic microbes that start growing in your digestive system damage the integrity of your gut wall. Your gut wall becomes like a sieve, literally. So food doesn't get a chance to be digested properly before it absorbs. You're absorbing everything you eat undigested, bits and pieces. And when these bits and pieces finish up in your blood, in your lymph, your immune system finds them there, looks at them, says, gosh, you're not food. You're not supposed to be here in this shape. And it attacks them. And this attack shows itself as a food allergy or intolerance. Any kind of symptom can be the result of this allergy, this reaction. It can be a, an asthma attack, it can be a skin rash, it can be a panic attack, it can be a psychotic attack, can be lapse in your memory, can be poor sleep, can be lack of energy, can be arthritis, can be autoimmunity, can be digestive problems, anything. And the reaction can be immediate or delayed. So on any given day, you have no idea what you're reacting to because you're reacting to something you've just eaten for lunch, plus something you ate yesterday, something you ate a few, a few days ago, something you ate two weeks ago. All of these reactions overlap with each other. As long as your gut wall is like a sieve, damaged, porous, leaky, you can assume that you are absorbing all your food undigested, and you're reacting to practically everything you eat. You can do tests for these reactions. You can start removing foods, but you are not fixing your gut. Your gut lining is still like a sieve. So whatever's remaining, you can, you can be down to three foods that you can eat or two foods that the test hasn't identified. You'll still be reacting because they will be absorbing undigested and triggering your immune system. So in order to get rid of uh, food allergies and intolerances, you have to focus on healing and sealing your gut wall, closing all those holes, literally building a new shiny gut wall for yourself. Only then your food allergies and intolerances will disappear. Only then you can ditch all these useless tests and stop juggling your food about. You'll be able to eat everything and digest it and absorb it in the right shape and form. Only then your food allergies will disappear. And that is what the GAPS diet has been designed for. The GAPS diet. GAPS stands for gut and psychology syndrome and gut and physiology syndrome. Uh, both abbreviate to the same GAPS in the English language. And uh, the first book is the yellow book. This one focused on the brain. Because at the time I was dealing with autism, ADHD, other learning disabilities in children, and mental illness in adults, epilepsy as well. So that's when I've written that book, when I accumulated enough clinical experience on those mental problems. So the book focuses on the brain. The second GAPS book 
gut and physiology syndrome, which I've already mentioned, focuses on the rest of the body. So this one talks about autoimmunity in detail. But both books are complementary. They go together and uh, they describe the GAPS nutritional protocol, which heals and seals the gut wall and creates a new, happy, healthy gut wall for you so you digest your food properly. So the more the digestive system is damaged in a person, the less we can digest plants. So here we come to answering your question about the plants, the vegetables, the fruit, the grains, the beans, the nuts, the seeds, you know, all the plant matter that people love to consume. Um, Mother Nature gave us two groups of foods, animal foods, meat, fish, eggs, and dairy, and plant foods. And these two things work in the human body very, very differently. I've written a book on this subject, and I think you've read the vegetarian book, yeah? That's, that's the book where I explain all of this. Vegetarianism explained. Please read this book and give it to anybody who is considering a, a vegetarian lifestyle. You may save a life. Yes, so, please. Don't, don't do the 30 years plant-based that I did. Please, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So what happens? The easiest things for human digestive system to digest, assimilate, and the easiest things for your body to use to rebuild itself, to heal any damage, to repair itself, are animal foods. And they're absolutely essential for us to eat. We cannot live without them. Because if you take water out of a human body, about 70% of your body is water by weight. By molecular count, about 90%, or even 99%, some, some researchers say, of your body is water. So when you take the water out of a human body, what's left, the dry weight, is 50-50, protein and fat. When we analyze human protein and fat in a laboratory, we find that they are almost identical to proteins and fats we get from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. Our human body can digest them very well, easily. They're easily digestible for us. It's, they absorb nicely and they are ideal for repairing your bones, your muscles, your brain, your liver, your lungs, your heart, your digestive system, everything in your body, for feeding them, for nourishing them, for building them, for repairing after any damage. Plants have a lot of protein and a lot of fats, but their biochemical structure is very different from the animal proteins and fats and inappropriate for building your body. They are impossible for us to digest because human digestive system has not been designed to digest plants. They're impossible for us to digest and they are inappropriate for building your protein and your fat. So plants do not feed human beings. They are not feeding foods. They are not building foods for human beings. People say, well, look at elephants. Look how big they are. They live on... Yeah. <laughs> look at the cows. Herbivorous animals like cows, deer, antelope, goats, elephants, you know, giraffe, they have a very different digestive system. There is a fact that I found that was discovered in the 1930s that the only things in our world that can digest plant matter are microbes. Exactly. So those animals are on a high fat diet as well, aren't they? Exactly. It's just by a different process. Exactly. Yeah. Only microbes. Nobody else on our beautiful planet can digest plants. Only microbes. 
Mother Nature used that fact, that scientific fact, in creating the digestive system of a cow or a giraffe or an elephant or, or another herbivorous animals. It gave them three or four enormous stomachs full of microbes. So the cow doesn't digest grass herself. It's that microbial community in her three enormous stomachs that digest the grass for her. Converting large percent of it into saturated fat, so they'll actually live on a very high fat diet as a result, and digesting all the other elements in the grass and feeding the cow's body nicely. We human beings don't have three enormous stomachs full of microbes. We have one little stomach and it produces hydrochloric acid. Acidity can be below one pH when we're hungry. Very hostile environment for any microbe to survive in. That is why a healthy human stomach is practically sterile. There's practically no microbes surviving in there at all. There are a few maybe hanging about, surviving, but otherwise there is no microbial community in a human stomach. And then following down several meters of intestines where absorption of food happens, almost half of that top part is also almost sterile because that's where the stomach empties its content, full of acid, full of hydrochloric acid. Remember, in order to digest plants, we need microbes. Only microbes can digest plants. So plants are indigestible for human beings. When we eat plant matter, and we usually eat it in a mixture with meats or some other animal food, it's only the animal food part that gets digested in your stomach properly, broken down. Plants just sit there doing nothing, waiting for their turn. And then that whole content of the stomach is emptied into several meters of intestines where absorption of food happens. And the only things that can be absorbed are things that got digested. Unless your gut lining, of course, is like a sieve, it's porous and leaky. So again, so the only things that absorb properly are animal things from animal foods, from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. That's what absorbs and that's what builds your body, repairs any damage. And human body renews itself all the time. Every cell in your body has a short life. It works very hard. It gets old, dies, gets shed off and removed. And new baby cells are born to replace them all the time. Your body constantly, every day, gives a birth to trillions of new baby cells to maintain its physical structure. In order to give birth to those trillions of cells, Building materials are required. They can only come from animal foods in order to build those trillions of cells. So animal foods are the building, feeding foods for the human beings. So question is, why do we eat plants at all? They're indigestible. The proteins they have are inappropriate for our proteins. The fats they've got are inappropriate for building our fat in the body. Why do we need to eat them at all? Of course, they give us flavors, colors, fun. You know, they're nice to have, they're nice to have. But the major factor in, in the plants is that they are cleansers. They are powerful cleansers. All those juices, vitamin C, antioxidants that they have, minerals that they have, they help us, help the human body to stay clean on the inside. So they cleanse us. And then as they go through the stomach, through the intestines and land in your large intestine called the bowel at the end, that's where the majority of the microbes live in your digestive system. That's the equivalent of the rumen in the cow. You know, those three enormous stomachs in the cow are called the rumen. 
So that's the equivalent of that cow's woman in us human beings. But the difference between us and the cow is that her woman is at the beginning of her digestive system before absorption happens. In us human beings, it's at the end. All the absorption already happened higher up. It's too late to start absorbing food. So that plant matter just feeds that microbial community in your bowel. They convert it into a lot of saturated fat, which we absorb between meals. They produce some B vitamins for us and some other useful things, but it's too late. They cannot maintain the physical structure of your body. They're simply not designed to do that. But of course, Natasha, you, you, you know, you absolutely need fiber, of course, which is why I haven't had a poo for eight years and no Inuit or Maasai ever had a poo. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? There's so many myths about it, but I'd, I'd just love to, because I know time's cracking on. And I, the one thing I really, really wanted to get you onto is this question about dairy, because I sort of look at it ancestrally. I, if I could live on cheese, I would. I love it. You know, I can eat it forever. But I don't do well on it. I don't do well on any dairy. I haven't had any milk for, I don't know, 10 years, probably. But there are now some theories where some people say it's so healing and, you know, the raw milk is wonderful. And then there's another side of it where people are saying actually raw milk's worse because when it's pasteurized and it destroys the lactase that helps you to, you know, digest the lactose and all of the all of the other things in it that it's messing about with the pasteurization people can't digest it so well. So they get initial symptoms like, oh, I'm lactose intolerant, but I'm okay with raw milk. But then there is a theory that the growth factors in raw milk are untouched. So it's even more powerful to perhaps cause unusual cell replication somewhere down the line, but not immediately that you notice. And so, you know, whereas milk is designed to bring a small animal into being a large animal, past that point it's not appropriate and it can cause you know because it's designed to make growth it makes the wrong kind of growth i know that i feel way better without dairy some people seem to be great with it do you think it's essential and do you think that some people are just better off without it or do you think it really is that superfood there we go there are cultures in this world who genetically ancestrally have never had dairy that is China, Chinese and other Asian cultures. It's just not in their culture to milk animals. They've never done it. And uh, when they introduce dairy, they get into trouble. They don't feel well. So they're not, they're not you know, genetically adjusted to it. But there are cultures, lots of cultures in the world, such as European cultures, um, which have adjusted to raw dairy for thousands and thousands of years. They digest it perfectly well and they do very well in it. And there are whole cultures which subsist on dairy. For example, Indian vegetarians. I've been to India several times and I've researched this subject of vegetarianism and veganism in India. And people who are vegetarian in India are the, the, the vegetarian out of poverty. Traditional vegetarianism in India is due to poverty. Why do you think a cow is a sacred animal in India? Because she gives them an animal food that's, that allows them to survive, that maintains the physical structure of their bodies. These families, if they've grown an animal, they can't afford to eat it themselves because they can sell that animal and the amount of money they get for it, uh, they can buy rice for the whole family for the year, for the whole year. So they can't afford to eat their own animals. But when they have a chance to eat meat or fish, they never say no to it. 
all people uh, in India who live along the seas, the oceans, rivers and lakes, the most important piece of food on their plate is fish for breakfast, lunch and dinner. That's the first thing they consume. They understand that without an animal food like that, fish or meat or dairy, they'll simply perish. And all their rice and all the vegetables and all the rest of it is just a, a secondary complement to, to that. Uh, to that piece of fish. And the Indians, uh, vegetarians in, the, in India, they are the ones who live far away from the waterways, who, who don't fish. They can't have access to fish. Uh, so occasionally they can, so they, they do their best to get it somewhere. Uh, so they do eat it and they never say no to it. The evangelical veganism in India, and I say, let's come back to the cow. That is why dairy in India, in these poor communities, is, uh, is a lifesaver. That is why the cow is sacred. It cannot be killed. It must not be touched. If you've been to India, you know, Indian traffic is very heavy on the roads. Oh, I've, I've, I've traveled in India. It's chaos, isn't it? It's hilarious. It's absolute chaos. It's hilarious. hilarious. It's hilarious. And, you know, they all drive like this and they all drive very fast. And then there's five, a lot of five on, a, five on a moped with the dog, you know, brilliant. That's right. <laughs> and the whole family hanging on the back seat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a, a herd of cows standing in the middle of the road. Yeah. And they all carefully drive around them. They cannot move them. They cannot touch them. They cannot, you know, chase them away from the road or anything else like that. So cows, that is why the cow is a sacred animal, because she gives them ghee. Butter, cheese, milk, cream. And that's very often the only animal product they can get into their tummies for weeks and, and into their children. And, and it allows them to maintain the physical structure of their, of their body because plants do not maintain them. Veganism is not a diet. It's a form of fasting. It's a form of fasting, yes. It's a form of fasting. And it's not my idea. It came from India. Again, I met Hindu pilgrims in India Part of their pilgrimage is a 41, 42 day fast. And the, the guide told us that when I was there in India for the first time, and my ears immediately pricked up, you know, I was interested. So the next day I was lucky enough to meet a group of people like that sitting on the beach, you know, in our hotel. So I talked to them and uh, they told me that, yes, it's a fast and it's so hard, so difficult, you know, we don't like it. And I said, well, what kind of fast is it? Are you allowed, do you just drink water or you're allowed to eat something? They said, well, we're allowed to eat something. And I said, what? And they said, well, we're allowed to eat, <clears throat> listen to this, rice, beans, lentils, <laughs> bread, vegetable oils, nuts, seeds, and fruit. I thought, oh, that's the Western vegan yeah. diet. Yeah. These people, you know, Hinduism is more than 30,000 years old. These people, for Thousands of years consider that to be a fast, and they will not do it longer than 41 day, 42 maybe, you know, maximum, and only as part of their religious pilgrimage. So veganism is not a diet, it is a fast. There are many toxic people in the world who are overweight, they've stored a lot of toxicity. So when they go on a vegan regimen, they start cleansing in a powerful way. And a cleaner body feels better than a toxic one. And that is the time when they start feeling better, when they write their evangelical blogs and their books and, you know, whatever. But then at a certain point, the body finishes cleansing and yes. it becomes hungry. It becomes and by, hungry. That, by that time, the brainwashing's gone in and, you know, the, oh, the lovely animals and they're our friends, not our food comes in and 
And then the brain goes, you know, I mean, I've had death threats on my YouTube channel from vegans, you know, because I talk a lot about carnivory and whatever. Incredible, the different the sort of psychosis sort of comes in. And you can see the whole gut brain connection. As I see, you know, I also have a Facebook group, like 20,000 odd people or whatever, with coming over from carnivory. And many of us, of course, we've been thinking about diet for a long time. We tried the whole veganism thing. And they say, I can't believe how my brains come together, you know. And I think, I, I, I think so much back to your work, you know, when I first came across it and, and um, it, so many people didn't make that connection between the gut and the brain. You know, we see this beautiful depression healing up and I mean, you've seen it, this old hat to you, isn't it? You've seen it forever. But, um, you know, that, and then they realize that at a certain point down the way, the plant toxins kick in. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about fasting and can I, I've got about three more questions, but can I, can I grab you just for a tiny bit longer, maybe, you know? Because I, I, I'd love to ask you these things, but fasting, you know, back in the day, I think the longest one I did was maybe 11 days water fasting. But that was at the time when I was sort of into my veganism. It wasn't helping the the auto the, the autoimmunity, it wasn't helping the inflammation. So the days when I could actually run around were the days when I wasn't eating, which I think shows people that it is definitely something to do with food, because if you fast, generally the symptoms go away. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. I lost a, a load of a load of weight, you know, including muscle mass doing that. I've seen I've since looked into a lot and, and, and tried, you know, some stuff that comes from sort of Filanov's research of the dry fasting. And but when you're nourishing yourself, I think, in the correct way, you don't really need that kind of fasting. But what's your view on these people that do these really long fasts? Because I used to think, yeah, that's great. But it takes away the symptoms, but it doesn't give you the building blocks to to actually heal the gut and seal the gut and, and and nourish all the tissues but do you think there's a place for actual fasting water fasting and particularly dry fasting where maybe you're causing more apoptosis more autophagy perhaps mopping up more deuterium in the cells that's come in from plant foods and bad water and what do you what's your view on fasting these days i've got a whole chapter on fasting in this book Brilliant. Where I, I thought you might. Where I, <laughs> yes, where I describe different forms of fasting, but most importantly, I describe how to come out of a fast. Because in every fasting clinic that you will go, and I, and I have fasted several times, and I went to different clinics, now, they all hard set on making you a vegan after that fast. <laughs> yeah, they do. They yeah. all make you come out, on a, out of a fast yeah, on a yeah. vegan regimen. The trouble is, you see, with veganism, is that in order to be able to digest plant matter, you need to have a cast iron digestive system, 100% healthy, ticking on nicely, perfectly. But problem is almost 100% in the Western world have damaged digestive system and abnormal microbial community sitting in there because we're eating antibiotics. Everybody's got it damaged. The more your digestive system is damaged, the worse your microbial community is in your digestive system, the less you are able to handle plants. Those pathogenic microbes that overgrow in your gut, they convert plant matter into toxins, into poisons. Instead of properly digesting them the way the cow does it, they, they, they convert it into through a process called alcoholic fermentation. They convert it into alcohol, acetaldehyde, extremely poisonous stuff, and lots of other poisons. And the more the microbial community is unharmonious and damaged and unbalanced, the worse that situation is. That is why we now have a community of people, a growing population of people in the world who cannot eat any plants. Every time they eat a plant matter, they get sick. 
because they have that kind of microbial community sitting in there, which just whenever you give it any plant matter, it poisons you, makes you sick all over. And these are young people. Many of them are in their early 20s or late teens and in their 30s, where they find out that by removing all plants altogether and just eating meat, fish, eggs, and fermented dairy, they are fine. They feel well, they function, bushy tails, bright eyes, you know, everything, the brain's working, fantastic. But as soon as they try some plant matter, they get sick because of that microbial community. And for the, for the first time I came across these people was um, more than 10 years ago now, when a, a group of mothers from America contacted me who were breastfeeding their tiny babies, a few weeks old, little things. Vomiting diarrhea, vomiting diarrhea, the child's losing weight, not growing, not developing, losing weight. They go to doctors, doctors uh, discover that the child is reacting to every protein on the planet. So the parents are told to stop breastfeeding. The child's put on a synthetic formula out of synthetic amino acids, single amino acids. And the parents are told you can never give your child protein. And if children follow that uh, mainstream protocol, many of them simply die or develop profound mental and physical disabilities. So this mother in desperation contacted me and I knew that if they cannot, if they're absorbing all protein undigested, and reacting to all protein. That means their gut lining is like a sieve, really damaged, big holes in the gut wall. That means their gut floor is very abnormal. Babies, children get their gut floor from their parents, from the mother and the father. We have an avalanche of gaps in the world because with every generation, the gut floor is getting worse and worse in our mothers and fathers, and in future prospective mothers and fathers. So please read about it in my gaps books. So. I knew that these children will not be able to tolerate plant matter. So I had to remove all plants. We put these babies on meat stock, on raw egg yolks, on gelatinous parts of the meat. And later on, we introduced fermented dairy for these babies, fermented kefir. And we started getting results. Vomiting stopped, diarrhea stopped, children started putting weight on, developing. Now some of these children are 14, 15 already. Beautiful children. Beautiful, healthy in every possible way, alert, happy, intelligent, doing well at school. You know, there are no deficiencies, no deficit, no illnesses of any description in these children. But what we found the hardest thing to do is to introduce plant matter into their diet. They've been on this, no, this, this is called a no plant gaps diet now. It's a variation of the gaps plant diet that I had to develop for these babies. And it's described in, the, in my blue book, in the Garden Physiology book. No plant gaps diet. And now there are communities of people in the world who are going on this no plant gaps diet, recovering from every autoimmune disease, recovering from cancer, recovering from multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, schizophrenia, all sorts of so-called incurable conditions. And they're so happy, these people. They have no intentions of starting to eat plants again. Because That's every time they try, they feel unwell, these people. That's me. So you know, these, Natasha, I had... Yeah. Um, I have three kids, uh, one of 33, one of 15, and one of eight. And as I've learned more, I've brought them up better, you know, with the food, except that my two youngest from my relationship at the moment, 15 and eight, uh, we were conned into cesarean. And of course, then they're not seeded as they come out, you know, they're not seeded with the bacteria. And so 
they had certain little autoimmune issues, especially my my youngest. Uh, so he had a lot of eczema, which has gone now. But it's amazing to see the difference between how I brought them up. Because my first son uh, brought up vegetarian and, you know, at age 12 or so, he had aneurysmal bone cyst. His neck is now full of titanium and fused whatever, you know, some other weird autoimmune thing that happens from God knows what. But and then my daughter, who is 15, who now can sneak out and get some rubbish, you know, and she does. But she seems to be pretty proof of it because she's to it, you know, because she's she's got a good gut. But my son, my youngest son, extraordinary. I mean, his physique is amazing. He's so heavy, but he's got no fat on him. He's uh, bright, intelligent, loving. He was basically breast milk and meat. And that was it. And then, you know, for the first three, four years until he discovered a bit of chocolate. But he's not had a vegetable in his life. And even if he had a little bite of apple, sometimes the, the the eczema would come back on his cheeks. And it doesn't now. He can have a little bit here and there, you know, and he might have some fries now and again. But really, he's 98% meat and fat. That's and, amazing, isn't it? In one you know, family, you've got the full... Yeah. Full case study, full comparison. And I've seen it. You know, even the difference in the jaws and the teeth, how they're coming through, you know, all how you'd look at in, in indigenous tribes and all of that kind of thing. It's, it's beautiful. This, it's, it's these children and these people that are telling us that human beings can live perfectly well without eating plants at all. Yeah. Totally. But we cannot live without eating animal foods. That's what all the sick vegans around the world are telling us with their illnesses and their disasters. Human beings cannot live without animal foods, meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. So vegetarianism, when people eat some kind of animal foods, like the ones existing in India, when they subsist on dairy and on eggs, they have chickens and they eat some eggs, uh, you know, can be sustained as a, as a lifestyle choice if you don't want to eat meat. And, and occasional meat, occasional fish will provide uh, some missing, missing nutrients. It is possible to survive as long as lots of full fat dairy and lots of eggs are eaten on a daily basis together with all those plants that the person eats. But veganism is not a long-term lifestyle. It is a fast. No one can fast forever. Fasting can be very healing, very beneficial, but for a short period of time, no longer than 21 days. No longer. Hindu do it, do it maximum for 42 days because they are eating lots, but it's a vegan. There's a real, there's a real sort of mental illness that's coming now where people go through that and then they go, Right, I need to be fruitarian, and what I'm what I'm aiming for now is breatharianism, and they think they can eat nothing. And I mean, you know, maybe some couple of humans in history have managed to do that, but probably not them. You know, buying all that store bought stuff and and, and eating that, it's crazy. I met and, lots of vegans. Yeah, I met lots of vegans who believe that by vegan being a vegan, they become enlightened. Yes, this ascending to 5D. <laughs> you know, ascending to 5D. This is my pet subject. You know, I've made a load of videos about spirituality and 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 meat eating, and you know, the the disrespect as my 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 friend Ben Hunt, who I run the Big Fat Challenge with, you know, and he says that's such disrespect to our ancestors. You know, are we saying that there were no enlightened people in all of these tribes that ate meat all of down all all down the the millennia? And that's we what they don't know anything about our ancestors. Yeah, our, our history is rewritten all the time. Exactly, you know, all these lies. You know, Natasha. I tell you what. At the end of um, uh, at, at the end of uh, your chat with with Ahmad, 
you you got into the world situation and all of this sort of thing. And I thought, I love you even more because we're in exactly the same page on this. And I thought it's so good to hear you talking about that. I just wanted this one to focus on autoimmunity because I, I didn't want, I wanted to get out to as many people and I want, uh, I, I don't want my YouTube channel pulled. But I, I, I tell you what, if we were sitting there over a cup of bone broth, we'd be chatting all about that nonsense and the psychopaths and whatever that we've written about in our latest book in the Red Pill Revolution book. Um, the, that world situation is unbelievable. But talking about, you know, the, I, can, I can combine this last question into into one kind of, you know, so bear with me a bit. Um, I, I, I've seen the attitude towards your work and similar work changing over the last decade. You know, I remember sort of 10 years ago, I was at a gig and I, I played drums in various bands, including one that you love, the, the Daz Band, which, you know, we've got that, that one out there. You can shove the New World Order up your ass. You can shove the Poisons vaccines up your ass and all of that. The single that we got, you know. And and I've seen the, the the world changing and the attitude towards it. But back then, you know, I was setting up for a gig and, and somebody who was playing in a band there was talking to me about his, um, his his relative who was just about to have their bowel cut out, you know, with Crohn's. And I said, hey, listen, have you ever looked into Natasha Campbell McBride's work? You really should look into that. And um, and the 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 vehemence, the 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 venom that came back you know these people are quacks you've just got to listen to the doctors and I thought oh my god you've got it in your power now to save your relatives bowel because you know the digestive issues they can be cleared up even quicker than than the, the when it goes through into the body into into the other cells and I thought this is crazy and then not so long ago maybe four or five years ago I was I, I went on the channel of uh, some microbiologist called Dan Wilson who is completely a shill for big pharma and and he's got some sort of autism charity or something like that. He's got some interest in it. I said, oh, have you seen Natasha's work, you know, with, on, with, with autism, whatever. And then again, the anger. You are not only a quack, you know, but you're disrespecting the autistic people. I thought, how can I be disrespecting autistic people by saying that there might be a way that they could address this? And so I, I you know... Is there, do you see now, because I do, when I look at sort of research into ketogenic diets for all kinds of mental health disorders, stuff like that, are you seeing a difference where people are actually starting to listen to that amazing work that you did all those years ago and you're not having so much pushback on it? Or do you still have trouble with that? Is the world changing? And also, without mentioning all of that to sum up you know all, all of the, the the stuff that we'd love to get into about the psychopaths and the crazy stuff that's been done to us over the past three years with these toxic things they've been firing into us what what is this is this uh, are you are you optimistic i am are we winning you know are we winning on the food front are we winning against the pharma companies, which I think, you know, even Maharishi from the TM movement once said the third, the next world war is going to be against the pharma companies. What do you think? Are we winning? How's your work going? Are you more respected? Is it all turning around? What's going on? That was a huge amount of questions. I'm just, I'm desperate not to leave anything out here and to keep you until I've, I've, I've got everything out of you I want. <laughs> well, human beings come into this world for a reason of spiritual growth, you know? We come into this world, we build a body for ourselves from dust to dust, you know, to the 
this material uh, stuff in this material dimension. And then we live in that body and the body goes through a hormonal cycle from a baby to a child and then to a teenager and then through reproductive years and then aging and, and dying. So from, from birth to death, we have a body. And it's only a tool, it's only a, a, a spacesuit that we wear in this dimension. We are not this body, we are just, we, we are spirit. We are spiritual, we, we're a spirit, we're a, we're a soul. Uh, we're a, a, a holy creature. We, we're gods, in other words. And why do you think we come into this dimension at all? Is it just a, a holiday, a jolly, you know, to go through the birth and the whole thing and then drop this body here like a ton of bricks and go back home you know or if there uh, is there a purpose for it i believe that every one of us comes here with a purpose and human beings are lazy creatures we have to get out of our comfort zone in order to allow our spirit to grow to allow any spiritual growth we have to go through adversity through trouble through difficulties i had no end of people who recovered from very severe chronic illnesses, such as multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, schizophrenia, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, neuroponeuropathies, you know, uh, horrendous, Crohn's disease. And every one of them says, thank God for my multiple sclerosis. Oh, Natasha, can I just jump in there? And I just, so, so important for people. I totally agree with that. This is why I called my book, Arthritis, the best thing that ever happened to me. I think, I think getting fully on autoimmune did me better than 30 years of meditation. Absolutely. Because what you do, you hit rock bottom. There's nowhere else to go but up after that, you know. If you, if you, if you want to sit on that rock bottom and just go to the doctor and take immunosuppressive drugs, then that's your choice. You're refusing spiritual growth. No evolution. You're denying, you're denying your spirit growth. That's what your spirit came into this world for, to grow, to get better, not to go lower. But many people go lower. Many people make a choice for going lower, to reducing the vibration of their spirit even lower. So when they die, when they leave their body here, they will go back to the spirit world at a lower level, more painful level, more uncomfortable level as a result, by being lazy and cowardly and comfortable here. So, but by facing your situation in this physical dimension, by facing your rheumatoid arthritis or your Crohn's or whatever other disease, or another crisis in your life, which may not be health-related, but some other crisis, where you have to make the right choice. You will grow. Your spirit will go higher. And when you die, your spirit will go back to a higher position than it came from. And every spirit tries to get higher and higher and higher because everybody's, ultimately, all of us are searching for love. Ultimately. We all ultimately wanting love. And we're searching for love and we're looking for it because love is the highest vibration. And many of us from life to life have gone so low, lower and lower and lower and lower. And the lower you go, the less light there is in you, there is the, the less warmth there is in you, the, the less love there is in you. They're not comfortable places. They're horrible places. They're cold, they're dark, they're painful, they're very uncomfortable. That's why when the spirit has a chance to incarnate here, and to have a chance to raise their vibrations so they leave that low place in the spirit world and come back to a higher place where it's warmer, nicer. There is more love there, more light there, more happiness there. You know, that's what our lives are for, 
to raise our vibration. But when we come here, we forget all that. We don't know it, and it, that's the plan. We're not supposed to know uh, while, while we're here. So facing your disease and healing your body and operating with love only, giving your body love, giving yourself love, giving love to nature, to your surrounding, to everything, rather than poisoning your body with a drug from a doctor. You know, that's not love. That's going down. That's going lower. So when we, uh, just to mention, uh, go back to that, those vegans who believe that by being vegan, they are <laughs> increasing their vibration and growing spiritually. It works the other way around. First, you have to grow spiritually before you can survive on vegan regime. When you've grown up spiritually high enough, and I know people like that, I've been fortunate enough to meet people like that in my life. They are so high spiritually, they don't need to eat at all. They feed from the ether because we live an ether. The space between us is not empty. The space between us is full, full of potential, and that is called ether. Uh, the, the Indians and the Hindus call it prana. So they live of that prana, they live of that ether. But in order to be able to feed on ether, you have to have a very high level of vibration. You have to be yes, already spiritually they get, it, they get it the wrong way around, don't they? Instead exactly. of doing that, that first. So, and so they so try and do then, that. Yeah. Only then you can be a breatharian or, or whatever, you know, not eat at all. Or some of them, they don't need to eat, but they choose to eat something because they like it. They either eat vegan or they eat, they drink milk or they, or they eat something else, you know, because they like it. So, but strictly speaking, they don't need food at all. So first you need to be enlightened. Only then you can become a vegan, not the other way around. While your spirit is low vibrating on a low level, you cannot survive on veganism. You are not ready for that. Yeah, beautiful explanation. Natasha, you're so eloquent. Thank you so much. That's and a pleasure. Wishing well, prayed for a love to call.